Nintendo! Just make sure this works. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat. You say something. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to welcome, the, welcome. the Nintendo Both Voice Chat. Offices in San Francisco. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of October 2nd, 2014. I am your host, Jose Otero, and you are listening or watching IGN's All Nintendo podcast. Joining me once again this week, Brian Altano. Hello, how are you? Less jet lagged. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm, I'm great. Fewer jet Just lags. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. And also with us, the man who loves to correct fewer, Per <laughs> Schneider. No, in this case, willkommen. How are you All doing, right. man? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, folks have a lot to be excited about right now because Smash Brothers for 3DS is about to come out. Yeah, I'm, yeah. F- I'm surprised you're this energetic. I figure you've been playing games late night. Uh, I have been playing other games late night, but I'm still Smash Brothers still has a special place in my heart. All right. Yeah, okay. I can give you 8.8 reasons. It's a great game. Nice. And uh, you can read that on IGN. But more importantly, by the time you're hearing this, Smash Brothers is out. So you should check it out. Yay. If you're still on the fence about it, remember there is a public demo you can download. Check yep. it out for free. Try it out and see what you think. If not, move on. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> kind of interesting. So we've been talking about Smash Brothers 3DS for about three weeks straight now. Three and weeks, three years. <laughs> yeah, it feels, it feels like yeah. we've been talking about this for a lot. So I thought this week we would focus on maybe something different, possibly a small part of Smash Brothers because uh, that's, you know, a Trophies? Nintendo museum. Tro- no. <laughs> the dog? Nope. <laughs> the dog. The Metroid series. What? Ah, yes. Why don't I've we heard talk? Of this. Why don't we talk about Metroid? Yeah. Uh, so let's yeah. let's start then uh, this journey through the stars once again, uh, and talk about the first Metroid, which was yeah. on the NES. Um, more importantly, <laughs> it was on the Famicom in 1986 in Japan. It was for the Famicom Disk System, which, if you didn't know what the Disk System was, this is sort of an add-on peripheral for the family computer, the Famicom in Japan, the NES there. And it was, the game was basically um, on rewritable media. It was a floppy disk that uh, had copyright protection and you could basically either buy the disk uh, with, you know, game art and all that stuff or if you just had the disk itself, take it to a kiosk, they would, you know, rewrite and put the game on there and then you take it home and play it. Really, really cool concept for, you know, back then. Obviously, in the 80s, the home computer craze was already underway, right? People were were playing on on various home computers especially in, in Europe. That's how, how most people played their video games at the time. And just the easy exchange of floppy disks with your friends was a big thing. Of course, most people didn't play, pay for those games, which really kind of wrecked that yeah. industry. But, you know, Nintendo had a, had the clever idea of, of building the system where you, you can go to any convenience store, any any game store, and, and, and put these games on the disk, which, you know, works amazingly well in metropolitan areas like Tokyo, right, where mm-hmm. you find mm-hmm. one of these at every corner. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was just a really cool concept and of course metroid was one of the flagship titles for that system it was uh legend of zelda was a launch title uh, metroid came a little later but metroid most people in the west don't know actually had a file save system just like zelda so when you start zelda for the first time you know you had the three slots and you could 
you know, eliminate or kill a save. I forgot the exact wording they use or you can copy. Um, the original Metroid on the disk system actually had that in place. And uh, also because it was on the disk system, and we've talked about this before, actually the soundtrack also was a little more enhanced. Um, you heard sort of two extra sound channels, I think it was, something like yeah. that. And it really added something to the music, which, if you know Metroid, was so, so memorable and so important. But in the States, it became something different, right? That's right. You you actually came to my desk a few months ago, and you're like, you know, Brian, you love Metroid. And I was like, yeah. And you're like, listen to this. This is the Famicom version. Listen to these differences. Does anything sound different to you? And it, it threw me off how it's just, it's not uh, completely different, but it's just weirdly, strangely off. Mm-hmm. Well, to you. Uh, well, yeah. to, yeah. Me, to me. I mean, to yeah, them, yeah. it's normal. To, well, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing, right? Like, we all remember seeing the Star Wars special editions and you walk into the movie theater and they're, like the things where you're like, whoa, hold yeah. on a second. What? No, that, you know, like it confuses yeah. you. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you're so used to something that you've played through it, 10, 20 times and the music is like in your head, any little changes really stick out and that's what's so weird about these extra sound channels, right? exactly. The music, the composition is the same, it's just that the sound sounds different. I think with the original uh, Metroid, uh, it was... The the music set the tone before anything else too. Like that title screen music. Now back then you had a lot of just like it would be like, and then it'd be yeah. like press one player or two player, Ooh. and then it, it would run a demo mode and the game would start right. Yeah. Or like the contra thing would slide in. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't have a lot of like like fade in from black. The dun dun and like the the chimes would start coming in for the Metroid song, and the logo would appear, and you're like, it was scary. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was freaky. It was scary. Yeah. It was it was very dark sure. and foreboding. Yeah, it, yeah. And then you would just start the game, and you're like, where am I? Who is this? What's happening? And really. No one ever told you. Yeah. yeah. No, the instruction manual had a ton of backstory to that world, but the game itself, if you just let the attract mode happen, it was just a one page of text yeah. that basically gave you the most basic mission instructions. Yeah. And you found out through the manual you were Samus Aran, who you thought was a male. Uh, it was presented clearly both in the Japanese and in the American manual that this was a dude. This was not a female. So that was the surprise uh, at the end of the game for a lot of folks when you beat the game in the amount of time necessary to get the helmet taken off or, yeah. or the, you know, whatever, the, the bikini, which probably or, was or a little code. crude, but whatever. Yeah. Or the code, which was the other thing. Yeah, Justin Bailey, yeah. which and no this, one will forget that. This but, was in an era where you didn't have to uh, even imply that a, a protagonist was male. Was a male. Yeah. yeah it was just, it was just, yeah. you knew. Un, uh, yeah, I mean, it's either Miss Pac-Man has a bow in her hair yeah. and a little M- Marilyn Monroe mole, yeah. or yeah. it's a male character. Yeah, like, if, the, if, the sort of tropey presentation of women, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. If you were a female in a video game back then, you were captured by something and put <laughs> in a cage or put in the end, the end boss. Uh you were never a female that starred in, in a game. Unless you were Gianna sisters. There were rare examples. Yeah, there were. But, sure, but there were no someone games. knew what the Gianna but, but, sisters were. But this this game, first of all, you know, it's called Metroid, right? It does not have the name of the main hero, which, of course, a lot of people are still confused about to this day. That's how you get, why can't Metroid crawl, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Metroid can totally crawl, by the way. Uh, but... the. I mean, to first of all, have the name of the game be different than the character back then was also unique with a lot of character-driven games, right? Yeah. It was all about creating a character that everybody remembered, right? Yep. Um, you know, think of, you know, Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and oh, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. It's always the, the name of the characters. Yeah. But, but this one was different. And then few people knew the character's name was Samus. And then 
fewer people even finished the game and realized, holy crap, it's the sixth sense of video games where <laughs> at the end they just pull the rug out of you. And like that had a big impact, right? Mm-hmm. Unless somebody spoiled it for you, finding out that you're, the character you played as was a female at the very end was just really significant. It, it was, was playground awesome, fodder right? too. It was like, it's a girl. You're like, no. Yeah, no yeah, way. That's not true. Yeah. No way. So uh, just to quickly wrap up, a few more technical points. In the US, this game adopted a password system, which was sort of the best way they could get it to work on a cartridge. However, it was a royal pain in the behind. Oh, you, you have no yeah, idea. Because the, the input was so precise, some of the characters look similar, and if you wrote it down wrong, like this wasn't the age of like digital cameras where you quickly snap no, this picture. No, no. Like, it, it took was, weeks uh, to develop film. It was, not really. <laughs> it was what? Like, uh, how many characters were in the in those passwords? I was going to look it up and then decided not to, but it was a lot. It was I, more it, than It necessary. felt like dozens, because I remember it would be like, all right, I got to this, I got to this part. All right, here we go. I have to save because I have to go to my grandmother's house. Uh, eight dash lowercase b <laughs> o. Oh, sh- that was a zero. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, squiggly line yeah. Uh, lo- under dash. Yeah. And by that, you'd go like, you know, the next day to type in the code and that music would be playing. And you'd spend a half an hour putting the code in and it would be like error. Yeah. And the worst, Damn it. the worst defenders were the ones where after you entered the code and you hit submit, it would delete the field. So you oh have to enter God, it in. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, it was the worst. But um, And I, just, don't, I, I don't know how uh, it happens that you you get these games when you're this young because this is before the IGNs and this is before uh, even video game magazines. Hint for, lines, man. For a lot of 1-800, us. 1-900 mm-hmm. numbers. Yeah, but I mean, I remember, um, I mean, I don't know how I got Metroid. I think I, oh, I, you oh, you got it. I don't know if my dad was in a store and was like, ah, oh, that looks cool. Oh, oh okay. With this, the, this weird mean. robot well, the, guy. But the box a, did look cool. It, it was one of the cool. very few silver cartridge box Nintendo games. I think there were only three. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. But it was also in the style of when the NES first launched, the boxes actually had representations of the graphics on the box. So you mm-hmm. saw sort of an 8-bit pixelated style art yeah. on a black background. In most cases, again, there were silver boxes, which applied to Kid Icarus, Metroid, and I think Rad Racer, if research is right. However, um, and this was almost like direct marketing to you because the Atari vision of what games were and what the Atari could do were completely different things. It was a things. lie. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was kind of, it, you can oh, say it was a... Oh, it's a B. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you didn't quite realize that, yeah, there was this beautiful art <laughs> on the front of an Atari box, but then you took it home, it looked nothing like that Well, it was art. like, hey, kids, you want to play this alt-rock album cover? Yeah, nah, you mm-hmm. get a four squares and a, and a, <laughs> yeah. a squiggly line. Um, but uh, one of the things about Metroid that obviously make it special is sort of the genre it developed, where it was, an, it was a platforming game, but it was also very focused on exploration, mm-hmm. Where it was kind of like, a, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate to point to paint it this way, but it was sort of very much Mario and Zelda in in the same game. Yeah. Right? Because it's a platform adventure, but it's also exploration-based like Zelda. Yeah. Where you're looking for things. And yeah. power-ups are the thing that make you stronger. And my last note, before I turn it over to you guys, music was probably just as influential as any power-up or, or part of the graphics or exploration style in that game. And I say that because it felt like every corner of that world of Planet Zebus had its own theme. Yeah. yeah. And that was really rad. You play Mario and like the overworld theme is always the same and then the underworld theme is always the same. Yeah. But here you go to Kray's Hideout. Awesome music. Mm-hmm. You go to is it Norfair? I always say mm-hmm. it wrong. Norfair. Norfair not the best music, but it was okay. You go to Torian, same thing, towards the end yeah. of the game. Um, and this was all Hip Tanaka's work, who yeah. we've talked about before, Hirokazu Tanaka. Uh, love what he was doing during that 80s era Nintendo, because I feel like 
he was really trying to establish or just kind of help video games presentation through chiptunes and through music. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the, the concept of kind of tying music to a person or a place, is, that's called leitmotif, right? That's something Wagner apparently came up with a long time ago. And like you hear it in Star Wars too. Whenever you see Luke, you, you hear a certain melody. When you see Darth, you hear a certain melody. So it's really effective, right? Mm -hmm. Because it becomes so memorable. In Metroid, it's tied to the areas actually. So the moment you step through a door and it, it becomes more pronounced, I feel like, with Super Super Metroid, where there were so many multiple entrances to different areas. You yeah. open a door, you're like, oh, crap, it's going to be hot, too hot for me because I can already hear from the music that mm -hmm. it's this place. Or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. And we still get that in the in the franchise to this day. Well, I, I, what, I, what I really appreciated about Metroid was sort of how, and I think this might have been partially part of its design and partially uh, a product of uh, just the era it was built, was the sort of uh, desolation that yep. that you felt playing it and it was because you don't like when you're playing Mario right like you get to the flagpole at the end it's the level's done there's a safety to it mm -hmm. uh, there's never really a moment like that in Metroid you're always just like I'm really deep right now. I don't know yeah. where I am. I am so far from when I started. Mm -hmm. I, nobody, there's no like, a guy, there's never a guy in the cave who's like, hey, you can take this. It'll help you out. You just find something on a rock. Yeah, that's well, just I like, can tell you oh, maybe man, that helps. why that is, right? Because at the time, at least, people learned that in space, no one can hear you scream. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And that was sort of an influence for Metroid, which yeah. was Alien. Yeah. Alien was totally yeah. an influence on this thing, uh, whether people want to admit that or not. Well, yeah. no, obviously, I mean, if you if you um, look at the creative process and you look at what some of the folks involved, like Yokoi or Kano or, um, you know, the, the designer, um, was it Kiyotake, what they've said about Alien, they, they said it was a huge inspiration to them. You know, here's a movie um, with a strong female leader. And it's not to say that they watched Alien and then they created Metroid. It was oh. more kind of like throughout the process they were saying, this movie's awesome. How about we change the main main character to a female, right? Like yeah. it was already they were already underway with the uh, with the story and with the game that they made that decision. Yeah. Um, and then I mean there's similarities, right? Like Ridley, the Winged Dragon, Ripley, the main character that Sigourney mm -hmm. or Ridley plays. Scott, the whole the concept of Alien, you know? Yeah, um, yeah or Ridley Scott, <laughs> that's right in there. Yeah, and uh, for homage. folks at home, Alien was a film released in 1979. So clearly there was enough time between that and when Metroid came There's out. There's also the the Mother Brain and the Queen Alien, which both plays off the same sort of maternal naming system. Yeah. Like, there's... Mm -hmm. Well, and that ties more into actually the next That's game, aliens, really, which yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah, Metroid yeah. 2 Return of Samus, yeah. because the direct plot of that game was, you know, so this is after the original Metroid, you escaped Planet Zebes. You're going back to SR388, which don't confuse it with LV426. Yeah. And uh, you're going to exterminate the Metroids, which was also very much a plot of oh, it's aliens. aliens. Yeah. yeah. So um, you definitely saw that influence again. And to tie into what you just brought up, remember there was a queen Metroid yeah. in Metroid 2. Yeah. 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 No, there's a definite uh, similarity with those franchises. I mean, just like you can see the inspiration in, in the legend of Zelda, some of these other titles from like classic fantasy. You know, Alien was a tremendously popular movie in Japan. To this date, um, you know, Japan loves the Alien franchise. Oh, wow. um, you know, it was a Even huge, the last few? It was a huge influence. Like, I mean, just think about, mm, hopefully not the French one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it was, Alien was a big deal, right? This was a sci-fi horror movie that really surprised everybody. So it's great to see it see Metro kind of harken back to that but back to like how Metro made you feel it it really felt like you were 
isolated, you were alone, you know, you let, you come to this planet and you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. And the music was just stressing that at every every mm-hmm. step of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so eerie. It wasn't like the, the kind of music you get from a Zelda or a Mario where you walk away and then you remember the music and everybody recognizes yeah. it. It's like sometimes weird garbled noises, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. weird melodies too, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, it was a lot of like, it would just sound like uh, like a Oh, acid pits bubbling and things <laughs> popping and th- <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about yeah yeah that was it. <laughs> it was really weird to listen to and it, it like you it was very dystopian you got very lost in that game just walking around being like this is that I don't know if I can get through this and I remember it was weird I didn't see a completed map of that game until when I was a, I was an adult so I spent my entire life having this vision of what the game looked like and in my head it was just a million miles long because so much of it looked similar areas sort of repeated but had different mm-hmm. uh, entrances and exits um, your your sort of safe goals in that game is every time you find an elevator because it's just like oh this is going to take me to somewhere else mm-hmm. I'm making some sort of progress it yeah. was sort of like finding the flagpole in Mario and saying there's this is the end of an area maybe I've done everything down here maybe mm-hmm. I haven't I hope I don't have to come back So yeah. and what probably made you feel a lot better was something that uh, they implemented in Metroid 2 Return of Samus which came out in 1991 and it was a safe system it was yeah. like finally having that because the first game yeah. that password thing Nuh-uh. <laughs> like it, yeah. it was, it was cumbersome. It wasn't easy to use, and so here you have its its debut on the Game Boy, and uh, they have a huge Samus sprite, right? Mm-hmm. They have other improvements. Like I didn't realize this, but at the start of that game, you start with 99 energy, you start with 30 missiles, and you have 39 Metroids to kill. Yeah, like, and you can still morph ball. Like you just mm-hmm. can't use the bomb. Like there's certain limitations, but you're definitely more powered up than you were at the start of the last game. Um, and you and I were talking about it, right? Like that's the one I still feel like Return of Samus, and, and this applies to the whole the whole series, maybe. But um, Return of Samus is kind of the weirdest one to go back to because the music isn't memorable, and sort of it felt a lot more sprawling than the original Metroid itself. Yeah, but wasn't it wasn't it more linear? In some ways, yes. It was a yes. more linear game. I felt like, you know, if Metroid ki- uh, kicked off with its contemporary Castlevania, right, there was a lot of inspiration back and forth mm-hmm. at the time, and that's oh, yeah. why we call those types of games Metroidvania, right? Two Blah. games, basically. Yeah, <laughs> some of us do. Um, but, but like, I, I feel like Metroid 2 kind of undid some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it made it a little bit more streamlined, maybe mm-hmm. because of the platform it did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, in, in they streamlined the level design and layout, mm-hmm. but uh, the palette and color scheme and actual architecture of the way the game was built um, made it feel almost more obscure than the original. Because mm-hmm. the original, I could get lost in that game and still sort of find where I was eventually. But in Metroid Two, I mean, I played that game on a t- on a Game Boy that was, mm-hmm. you know, the screen was the what like the, the size of four postage mm-hmm. stamps, blurry puke green and you didn't know where you were ever yeah. uh, and I think on, on the NES you kind of could be like oh I know what area that is I know what enemy that is I think I have an idea where I am um, it was very different on Game Boy because it was sort of just like you've got to hunt down 37 or whatever the number was mm-hmm. Metroids yeah. you don't know where they are so you just sort of aimlessly walked around killing things mm-hmm. and uh, depleting the number. It was it was it was yeah. like being a Terminator almost. Sure. Well, that's sure. yeah. Again, goes back to aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, get the Marines in there and take out the whole hive. And yeah. this this was kind of like it was a very straightforward setup versus you know how Metroid One was just kind of like create your own adventure style Absolutely. setup. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, I mean for sure. the other big thing 
about the second one is you can already kind of see that the story wasn't as simple as most other kind of shooters and, and beat-em-ups at the time. Like, she spares the hatchling at the end, yeah. right? And, like, right. this entire game is focused on eradicating these these people, these these uh, creatures, jellyfish, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> what are they? Um, alien spawn. Yeah, I don't know anyway. what they yeah, are. Life form. Yeah, you know, a life form. Go, okay. go with the sci-fi terms. They're jellies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dry, dry land jellies. So, but at the end, she spares one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, even though, like, obviously they've been a living hell to deal with yeah. um, up until that point that she spares it is kind of cool. Yeah. And that shows to me that they did have more of an idea saying, like, hey, we don't have to be like everything else. We can make a point. You know, just like they made a point that the character's female in the first one, the second one kind of shifts I, things. I around. thought it was incredibly fascinating, the the pacing of, of the franchise, especially looking at the first one, calling it Metroid and then not really giving you Metroids to fight until, like, the last uh-huh. seven right. rooms well, or anything, so. You had to be afraid of them, right? Yeah. Even you, the way they're sort of positioned or talked about in the manual, at least, because there was no storytelling in the game And you itself. didn't see them for hours and then you got to the end and all of a sudden they suction cupped onto your brain and, and they took all your out life you. out yeah. and it was terrifying yeah. and yeah. You, you jumped and you mashed your controller and you swung it in the air and you tried to get rid of them and they'd finally let go and you'd blast off a bunch of me- uh, missiles to, to kill them yeah and they weren't easy to kill you had to freeze and then fire missiles oh, at it was them a pain and, in you the would, ass. You would, and they move really fast because this is the end of the game I'm yeah. glad you brought this up Yeah. Um, and yeah it was it was really freaky like oh, going through that area and that's where the music is by the way All it hits sort of that spot and, where it's yeah. weird. Yeah, and I, I do want to correct myself a little bit because outside of the uh, the elevators as your sort of safety, there were the Chozo statues, right. which was like... Well, we didn't call them that then, did yeah, we? Yeah, we didn't know. We yeah. didn't call them that. Yeah. I didn't know what they were back yeah. then. It was Birdies. just... Yeah, which was another sort of like... that. There's that alien thing of like the giant mm. man-shaped statue. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and just seeing those in the game and being like, what is that? I remember walking upon one for the first time. I was like, this is some sort of weird messed up shrine. And then firing at it to try to kill it and firing at it revealed that it had some sort of like prize, some sort yeah. of power up. Yeah. And then you would jump into it and get something and upgrade your character. And no one ever <laughs> explained to you why or there were just these ruins all over the game. It was Yeah, it was totally like the space jockey in the original Alien. Now we know, up. of yeah. course, they're just uh, Roman people made from marble, right? Yeah. From Prometheus, we know that giant Roman. What I, what I really appreciated about those mechanics too is that you would Poor get... Space jockey. Yeah, they totally ruined that lore. Uh, shooting at those things and getting the power up usually in and around those uh, statues was a tunnel. Like underneath them a lot of times, behind them a lot of times. And it brought back that sort of feeling I had when I played Super Mario Brothers World 1-2 for the first time. And I jumped up on the blocks high enough to run at the top of the level. Metroid let you do that through walls and under tunnels. And Mm -hmm. it broke the the traditional gameplay of like platforming left to right to the goal and made you start looking at things. Bombing uh, areas that looked real. Or the bomb jump. Bomb jumping. Mm -hmm. um, Shooting at the ground and making blocks disappear that became transparent falling through them going to completely new areas like the exploration in that game was brilliant and yeah. it was confusing and disorienting but i i really appreciated that aspect of it because it made me as a kid not only just play through the level from point a to point b or each area but it made me shoot at everything and bomb everything yeah. and explore yeah. and look around and you see I, I played that game later you know to me that realization came with super metroid yeah there, there are so many cool little secrets and moments in that game where I felt like that was a standout for for me at the Mm -hmm. time, too. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and we come back, uh, we will be talking about Super Metroid and why it is one of the greatest games ever made. More when we return.
Welcome back. Jose Otero here with Per Schneider and Brian Altano. And we're talking about Metroid this week on NVC, all about it. And so our next topic is actually about Super Metroid, right? Why is Super Metroid one of the most important games ever made? We talked already about how Metroid 1 and even Metroid 2 sort of helped develop the idea of sort of an exploration-based platforming game, an action-adventure, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but Super Metroid is the one that got it right uh, and has been praised up and down ever since. And I feel like we got maybe a taste of sort of that quiet storytelling at the end of Metroid 2, which you yeah. brought up, right? Yeah. The end of Return of Samus, sparing the hatchling. Yeah. Like there was a message there. And then when Super Metroid got a hold of those ideas, they just made that message 10 times better. Yeah, from the very beginning, I mean, you see the, you know, you see Ridley breaking into the lab and stealing the the last metro- Metroid, right? And the, the yeah. jarred Metroid and flying away with it. By the way, what a freaky moment, mm-hmm. right? Like you're exploring the space station at the very beginning and then like a giant enemy pops up. That's like your first encounter with an enemy. You're finding all these dead bodies on the floor, which was creepy enough. It was, Remember it's, that? It's, it's the first time you see uh like sort of human-esque or humanistic characters outside of yourself in the franchise yeah and they're just they're dead and real dead bodies yeah and they're like and they're scientists they're not soldiers or anything and then this giant boss comes in you're like what yeah i haven't even upgraded my character i don't Mm -hmm. even know how to play this damn game and the music is like like it drives you crazy and of course you're taking damage the whole time now the secret is you can't die right yeah yeah Yeah. and so it's part of the story that you're actually interacting with a cutscene, which i I thought was just so cool and then what i love is that they wisely from there so this game picked up right after metroid 2 you have this encounter with ridley who steals the hatchling you go down to uh the planet zebus once again and uh, what blew my mind is then they take you on a quick, uh, unabridged tour of what you did in Metroid 1. I know. You start sort of – you pass by the starting area. You end up in uh, where you fought Mother Brain. You see the smoking hole in the ground mm-hmm. where you left Mother Brain, what's left of the jar. And you sort of backtrack through. The scanning thing. There was a scanning thing. There were little changes here and there because – as you slowly found out, the world just got 10 times bigger. Yeah. Or at least it felt that way in yeah. Super Metroid. You just forgot to open some doors. And, I mean, obviously time passed. But that was that was what made that game so magical for me. Like, the first moment, like, Ridley comes in and it starts with an eye, right? The eye just fades in and it's so creepy. But then when you go down to the planet, first of all, I'm a sucker for rain in video games. Yeah. I'm playing Horizon 2 right now, Forza on the Xbox, and the rain effects and everything just make me really happy. It's because mm-hmm. it doesn't rain, rain in San Francisco. No, I, I grew up in Germany where it always rains, and now, now we live in California. Isn't so. that weird how you, yeah. you grow to miss thunderstorms? I love, I, love, I, yeah. I love thunderstorms. Me too. Anyway, so it's got this awesome atmosphere, which was, to me, exactly like the beginning of Link to the Past. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't yet know what to do. You're not, like, running around killing things. You're just kind of exploring something and trying to get a feel for the world. And it's so smart right like Mm -hmm. it teaches you the game mechanics for those who played the original game you get a tour of the last game but just the sound of the rain and like your spaceship landing there and you going like you're like all right i can go to the left i can go back and go back i can go back into my spaceship just this kind of freedom to me was mind-boggling well and it's sort of from from the design excuse me standpoint where you mentioned that the first game felt very desolate yeah the sound design became very ambient in super metroid it became more about the little you know effects and the little things Uh, that's that was the power of the Super Nintendo, you know, like it was, oh, yeah. it, it had some incredibly capable uh, sound chips. Mm-hmm. So this was Sakamoto, right? Sakamoto. Sakamoto gets Super a lot Metroid. of the credit for this game. He is one of the folks that worked on it. Yep. And he, uh, if you don't know Sakamoto's work, uh, Yoshio Sakamoto also works on the WarioWare series. He actually has a very diverse palette mm-hmm. of games. He's the Tomodachi Life dude. Mm-hmm. He is the WarioWare dude. And he is also 
coincidentally enough, the Metroid dude. Oh, and the Rhythm Heaven guy. Also. Yeah, 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 yeah. He also handles that series too. Very different games across the board. Yeah, so, I, it's what I it, this it's what I really loved about Super Metroid was uh, the the sound design was so detailed and and the environments were so uh, they were just they felt gross. <laughs> yeah. Wet, oh, and they made farty noises gross. too. Yeah, and it's just like things. Thing, yeah, things just oozed and, like. and yeah, well, no, things like oozed and dripped, and you would walk into a room and you'd be like, oh, like you'd fight an enemy or a boss, and yeah. you'd be like, this is just gross looking. Whereas everything in the original <laughs> NES Metroid, you know, it was all very blocky, it was all very clean. Uh, you could tell that things were kind of nasty, like little yeah. slime balls would cr- scroll around with eyeballs on them and stuff like that. But Super Metroid was just like moss grew on things, you know, uh, there was dew, there was dr- things would drip and pop, and, and it oh, yeah. just felt. Gross, and then it had these cool mechanisms too, right? What, yeah, like you're running forward and the door closes. You're like, what? And you try it like 50 times. I'm, like, I'm gonna beat this door. Of course, mm-hmm. you have to come back later when you can run fast. But like, just that kind of experimentation, which in a modern game would be so frustrating if we're it's stuck in an area. This game basically said, hey, you can try and get past it. Yeah, but there are all these other things you can do at the same time, and I really appreciated that. But this game also like two of my favorite things in the series. One was the glass pipe. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was awesome, right? Like, you run through this glass pipe so many times on your way to the different areas. And then at one point, you're like, what if I put a power bomb here? And, like, it blows it up. Yeah. What? It blew up the glass pipe. Yeah. And you go in the water. That is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. I oh, thought yeah. that was so cool. No, it is very cool. I think it, it did a, it, a fantastic job of making Samus even more of a badass, too. Yep. Because, for, first of all, it was the shoulder buttons helped a lot. Like, being able to shoot diagonally and stuff. Yep. All of a sudden, I mean... You 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 shot very straightforward and up and down in the older Metroids, but all of a sudden you were like, man, I this she felt like a bulkier character. She looked stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, her weapon upgrade system, like going into the in, into the menu and looking at that kind of stuff, like it was just really cool yeah. the way they teched it all out. When they introduced things like the grapple beam, right? Yep. They yep. brought in, they expanded sort of her palette of what she could do with this game, which was dope. They even had moves that the game somehow taught you itself just by demonstration. You'd run into the space animals and you'd see them zigzag off the walls, and you're yeah. like. Yeah. What are you that trying was to hard. say to me? And yeah. it was really hard to pull yeah. off. But once you learned how to do it and you learned the timing, or I don't know how I eventually found out. I was kind of bummed because this game came out in 1994 and we were dirt poor. So I didn't yeah. get to buy it until and play it until I was much older. I think right before Corruption came out on Wii. And uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't play it until I was older because mm. I appreciated it 10 times more, I feel. Mm. Like I was able to kind of absorb a lot more of what the game wanted from me than if I would have played it when I was like 14 or whatever. I played it right when it came out. Obviously, I was yeah, 14. But uh, like that moment where you see those guys do the wall jumps and you're mm-hmm. like, what are you trying? Oh, you're trying to tell me I can wall jump too. I can't. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You try it over and over. You're like, wait, no, maybe I can. And then like you keep on working on it until you think you got it, right? But yep. like... To be able to communicate that through just, you know, visuals and no description. Today, it would just be like, pop up, you know, press E-R twice, right? Like, yeah. it would bring up some sort of... <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Nowadays, you'd have a million lives. You'd yeah. be able to buy the ending. Like, yeah, it's, it's everything's so different now. And then the other thing that I really loved, and this, I feel like, inspired the Metroid Prime series, was the first visor, right? The X-ray scope in that yep. game. 
like you you would discover these secrets and they're awesome and we're familiar with those secrets from other games right where something looks like a wall and you walk through it's like the the hidden waterfall entrance yeah in this game you get this visor and you can actually scan the walls and you can find those secrets yeah. and i thought that was so cool when i first used it i'm like you gotta be kidding me i'm gonna go through every room ever and scan, scan everything and that's kind of what uh the whole power up upgrade system kind of did to you right the minute you'd get something you'd be like oh, now yeah, i know where yeah, i can yeah. use this yeah. right and that's yeah. where the aha like moments yeah. the epiphanies would happen um one thing you haven't mentioned though the bosses man yeah. bosses the boss sprites the boss characters huge. all the things you call huge like multiple parts they were intimidating one of them had two screens was it crate yeah crate like, you, you have to fight crate again and he you have fat. to actually yeah. get all the way up to a second screen like top floor to fight him and it was so so well done yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's such a remarkable game. It's definitely in my top five games of all time. Oh, it's yes. just such a great game, you know. The, the one thing that it kind of ruined for me is that I, I don't think there, there were ever, well, maybe in Metroid Prime because of the Morph Ball stuff they did, but there weren't many things in future games where you were like, oh, I wonder what that's for. Like, yeah. I feel like the earlier games kind of primed you for, you know, oh, a grapple hook here, this, I need this beam to open this door, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it kind of gave you that language. And the Zelda franchise, we have the same issue where, like, you kind of know you're going to get a grapple beam, a, a grapple hook or um, yeah. Yeah. a hook shot yeah. when you see a target like that. And I wish like we just reset it and give us completely new uh, new items at yeah one point. the whole the process of discovery is special yep um all right and then i mean we should definitely talk a little bit about that ending one of the greatest endings of all time right because the tables were turned you end yep. up in a boss fight with uh, i mean if you haven't beat this game i apologize you've had time but you should check it out um basically you fight mother brain again mm -hmm. she turns into gigantic mother brain in front of you she and walks then the, yeah, and then the last Metroid, which almost killed you a little while earlier, right? In the middle of a hallway, it attaches to you, it attacks you. It's ginormous now. It looks like a super Metroid. Wow, I didn't realize that. Uh. Um, then uh, it comes to save you. It gives you it, the energy. Yeah, it dies, but in dying, gives you the energy to kill Mother Brain with like a hypernova super rainbow beam or whatever. Yep. And again, the simplest storytelling mechanics to make you feel like... I'm going to kick your butt, right? Mm -hmm. Like the moment the Metroid comes in, you're like, holy crap, it saved me, right? Mm -hmm. Like you totally understand what happened in the games before and like this payoff of rescuing this dangerous creature. Then you're pissed off because Metroid is dead and you're like, I'm going to take down Mother Brain. The simplest storytelling mechanics create this emotional response and really like made the game so enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I agree. Good. All right, so then for this next portion of our conversation, I do want to frame this for people, mm -hmm. but... I think we, we we should focus on how the next step for Nintendo was then the struggle to evolve Metroid, I feel. And this when I say struggle, I mean that there are victories and there are definite um, middling or, or maybe even losses. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through the games that I'm, I'm trying to tie this to. And we're going chronological, if you haven't noticed on this podcast. So it wasn't until 2002 that we would see Metroid again. From 1994 to 2002, there was no Metroid. They you, skipped Nintendo 64. Do the you only, remember Metroid 64? What was there of that exactly so, out I, there? Do you remember? I can tell you. There wasn't anything shown ever. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there was there was rumors it was being yeah. worked on. I, I, my, maybe my brain is filling in blanks. But no, the, there wasn't anything shown. Were, there no. were never any weird hazy no. screenshots or anything like that? No, there there, there was some stuff later. Um, no, Met, With Metroid 64, this was like the question you as a, as a games journalist would always ask Miyamoto 
And then uh, Gunpo Yokoi, of course, yeah. had died in a car accident, right? Mm -hmm. I think 97, 97 or something that like that, right? right? Yeah. And so it almost became, at first, it was kind of like this toxic question because, you know, Yokoi, who was so attached to the franchise, too, you didn't want to bring up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't want to bring up the memories. But then over time, you'd be like, okay, N64, how are we going to see a Metroid game? And like, It was always the air-sucking answer, like, uh, yeah, not sure who would tackle that. And then at one point in an interview, Miyamoto is like, yeah, yeah, we're really thinking about it. And, you know, yeah, we got, you know, we got some ideas. And then everybody was like, super excited, saying Metroid 64 is happening. Yeah. And then the next time you saw him, it was like, ah, when I said we were excited, I meant that maybe we'll one day make another Metroid game, right? Like, it was this constant back and forth of, oh, yeah, we should really do that. Or, oh, yeah, we're doing it. Maybe some mistranslations there and like backpedaling saying no sorry there's nothing in the yeah. works yeah. And when did we end up seeing Samus and Smash for the first time that was, was on the N64 was it on the N64 so yeah that was in the first Smash Brothers uh, yeah I was going to bring that up that basically the only time you ever saw anything Metroid was in the opening or in basically in Smash Brothers for Nintendo 64 yeah Samus was part of the opening and that was it never saw Samus again because it never materialized Metroid 64 never came together yep. despite Super Metroid being this amazing thing um, but then you move forward in time to 2002 and they decide to release not one but two Metroids <laughs> on the same day November 17th 2002 Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime and it felt like it was sort of like future and past came together right because Metroid Prime was visually the future in terms of here is a first person perspective video game They were careful not to call it a shooter. They kept calling it. Remember, first-person adventure was the words yep. you words you saw in a all the articles. Again, shooter not a good good kind of genre for Japan, right? Mm -hmm. They yeah. wanted to avoid that stigma. And, and then on on Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, you got more of the traditional 2D style. But what I don't think people really realize is that even though the tech on on Prime was the future of how the game would be presented, yeah. Fusion was the future of what they were trying to do in terms of presentation. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Prime felt like the like the sequel to the original more than any game in the franchise franchise did. It's 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 you you're by yourself. It's desolate. There's no NPCs really. There's no uh uh you're not getting communications over your radar or anything like that. Whereas Fusion was sort of like, "Hey Samus, how's it going? Here, uh nonstop talking to you. I, you're in the elevator right now. I got some stuff to talk to you about." Um and That permeated Metro Prime 3, uh, permeated Other M. Uh, that sort of, and it took a lot of people out of it. I remember a lot of people's criticism at the time was that uh, it took away that desolation that we were talking about earlier of having just this space pirate out there. Mm -hmm. Well, she spoke, and no one liked what she had to say. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah when, when you say she spoke, you didn't hear her. You no, just you, read you the saw text, text right? her thoughts. And yeah. it, was, it was a lot of sort of reminiscing and dwelling on, on the other characters and the mission she's on. And It, it, Metroid Fusion, it, I, and I will say this at this table without reservation, is still an, a great game. Yeah. But it is the chatty Cathy yeah. of the Metroid series, right? It's just it's got it's a little kid Icarus in your Metroid there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah way too much talking. Yeah. It and, also and that the, turned a lot of people off. The way it would click over to the map screen and pan away from where you were to where you needed to go. Mm -hmm. 
Well, they uh, were directing you, right? Yeah. yeah. It, to me, it took away a lot of the exploration so, that I was so used to from the franchise. But you know what? Super Metroid was doing that a little bit too. Not not to a huge degree, right? I mean, you had map rooms that would kind of download and show you things, but. Um, yes, this game was saying, okay, you're in point A, here's point B, but show you nothing in between. Yeah. And you would have to piece together the rooms and find your way there. Mm-hmm. So the exploration aspect was still there, but they were very much trying to help people get over the hurdle of the intimidation factor, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know where to go. It's, well, there you go. That's where you want to be. To me, when, when I look at both of those games, games, Metroid Fusion looks so Japanese and Metroid Prime, you know, while while really looking like true to the Nintendo franchise is an American yeah, game, right? Yeah. Like there's a real difference in the visuals, the presentation and, and the gameplay style as well. Metroid Fusion, like just think about how they changed the suit, right? Like she, it's much more like kind of skinny and she looks like Aquaman or something. It's, yeah, it's yeah, super yeah. colorful, like all the levels are way more colorful, whereas Metroid Prime went for that, that more realistic kind of desolate look. Mm-hmm. And I feel like <clears throat> Having those two games released at the same time was so great because mm-hmm. you got these two facets of what Metroid kind of used to be like. You know, yeah, like yeah. you get that game going into two different directions. And then Metroid Fusion had this freaking awesome element of the SAX, the your doppelganger stalking mm, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so well done. Yep. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. That yeah, was the yeah. most menacing en- enemy in the franchise. Fusion, like, Fusion is an enemy so- that comes after you the whole time. Yeah. It's such a beautiful game and uh, it, even though it's 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 much brighter and more mm-hmm. well lit than some of the other games, I think that the the setting of that spaceship is really cool. I think that uh, aside from the sort of chatty Cathy stuff and the yeah. narrator bothering you, uh, the art direction's great. The- yeah. Oh yeah, no, across both games. I do want to point out though that I I think one thing we're missing though with the Fusion, with mentioning that Fusion was colorful is it was on the Game Boy Advance which was not backlit at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Right, so you had games like Circle of the Moon that were launch games that were really, really good exploration dark. based, but they were too dark. Yeah, yeah and you yeah. have to like sit under three lights to or see what you were doing light. or something, or find us some huge bulb like yeah, good the one point. we have in here. Good point. So it, it was probably them a conscious effort to just kind of make it something you can still see. Which happened with the Castlevania games as well; they got yeah. brighter and brighter. Yeah, Harmony of Dissonance on. is totally neon, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. And then by Aria of Sorrow, they got it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do want to point out. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you may have seen Fusion before. Fusion, in fact, was Fusion. Metroid 4 was shown to the press as a Game Boy Color game, <laughs> yeah. and I sent you a video of it. Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that demo. It was a running demo. Was it at E3? It was at one of that the shows, E3. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do remember seeing it, but it was this short glimpse, and we're like, all right, finally, you know, they're going back to Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. And it was Metroid yeah. 4. Yeah. So that in the title, and they still put 4 in Fusion. There's a, there's a short title card that'll yeah. say it somewhere. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, just then sort of looking at... Prime. Prime, yeah. So a Western studio made it. Retro Studios, which inevitably would be owned by Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But what do you? Why don't you share the stories here? Well, there was a lot of talk about retro at the time, right? There was a lot of mistrust, a uh, lot of mistrust of the studio. Unproven studio had a whole bunch of projects they're working on. So I paid the picture for folks. Retro wasn't always retro, right? Retro used to be Iguana. And Iguana true. made well, well some of the Iguana, guys, some of the guys. Yeah, yeah. And Iguana made the guy game, believe it or not. Yeah, and they also awful. made you know Turok. they also made Turok. Yeah, and so. That's it right. wasn't. It wasn't the exact same team as, the, acclaim, yeah. uh, as the acclaimed studios guys, but um, there definitely were. Um, you know, Spangenberg, Jeff Spangenberg, who headed up the studio, came over, mm-hmm. um, and there's just a little, con- a lot of controversy around this kind of studio that they're spending a lot of money. They're like, you know, it was kind of like the. 
you know, like the super fancy development studio. They had the awesomest level designers, the greatest graphic artists, and they would be doing sports for Nintendo. They would be doing RPGs for Nintendo. They would be doing shooters, right? Uh, a racing game with guns, like a Twisted Metal kind of game. So all this stuff was there, and you never actually saw a game. And yeah. you had to kind of trust that, okay, these guys knew what they're doing with Turok. Turok, the first two games are good. The third one is actually fun too, kind of like a, almost like a Titanfall of its day, all multiplayer, right? <clears throat> You had the Extreme G games, which were, apart from the choppiness, really cool games, mm -hmm. really, really fun racers, and a whole bunch of other stuff out of the studio that was good. So we thought, all right, could be pretty good. Um, but there was mistrust. There were, you know, there were reports of excessive parties like Spangenberg involved. And you, you don't know. Maybe it was all blown out of proportion. But there was then then this kind of like, oh, they're never going to get anything done. And you did yeah. get the sense that at one point Nintendo went down there and put the kibosh on a lot of stuff and said, you will now focus on one game. You're going to cancel all this other stuff. No more football. No more beautiful RPG. Look cool, though. Um, no, more, no more shooting cars. And they were assigned to this one game. Metroid Prime, which at the time was not called Metroid Prime and was a third-person game in 3D. Hmm. So this was meant to be like a Mario, more Mario 64, Sunshine, you know, like third-person perspective type of game. Okay. That's how they started off. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't hear anything about it for a while until these first screenshots came out. Like, unceremoniously, we were super excited to see more. Suddenly, these screenshots come out, and it looked kind of like Armarines, which was another acclaimed studio's Iguana game, right? And then we're like, oh, no, they're going to turn, gonna gonna turn Samus and Metroid into no. Armarines. We're really worried about the game. Mm -hmm. Um and then it was right before. Sorry, if you guys want to weigh in, please. Uh, I feel like I'm talking. No, 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 keep, no. Keep But there was the this here. one, you know, like as we're heading towards E3, where the game was supposed to be unveiled. Um, we knew a lot of the guys over at, at Retro, and you know, obviously, a really good team. They were super frustrated that they weren't able to talk about the game, and so through you know, 15 different corners, we learned that the game would in first uh, would be in first person, right? And we're like, well, what? Double take, wait, first person? So in 2002, the idea of a platforming game in first person was heresy because yeah. no one had really figured out how to make it smooth and comfortable in terms of platforming. I, I think Movement on the ground was fine, but no one had gotten it right. I think in 2014, a, uh, a platforming first person game is still... You still get a little worried about it. Now, Titanfall pulled it off great. But, yeah, at the Mirror's time, I, I remember Mirror's Edge, yeah. Yep. I remember uh, knowing that it was former Iguana developers. And I remember I played a lot of Turok. Mm -hmm. And I was worried as hell. Because yeah. you couldn't land a jump in Turok. And yeah. there was a lot of jumping. But they made you jump, yeah. And they made you jump. And I said, I, I, I grew up playing Metroid. Metroid, it, it's, a, it's a platforming game. Precision. With precision and exploration, like all of these things need to be there. This, if you just give me long tunnels with monsters to shoot, you miss the point yeah. of Metroid. And I remember jump, starting Prime and jumping for the first time and landing on something and being like, "Holy crap, they did it!" Yeah, yeah. So that, but when we first heard it was first person, we didn't think, "Okay, yeah. they're going to nail this." We thought, "Wait a second, this is going to be Doom." We thought this game was going to be turned into first-person shooter. We didn't write that story, so we kept on pushing, and we wanted to get more information. You know, as we were heading towards the uh, Nintendo press conference, and we knew the game was going to be revealed there, and so we wanted to get the story done, but we wanted as much detail as possible. 
we dug it up and they uh, and we got our source to tell us no it is absolutely like metroid but it's in the first person trust me it's going to be awesome and so what i did i sat down and i mocked up a fake screenshot of what the visor would look like because the big catch was oh it's going to be awesome you're going to have this visor it's, it's going to feel like it's going to feel like you're looking through the eyes of samus so we posted this article called through the eyes of samus put my bad photoshop mock up into it wait what did you what did you photoshop is it still out there? It's still out there. It <laughs> oh looks, my god! Really? It, I mean, it looks horrible. It's like I probably because I probably read that article. No, but but it looks exactly like the visor and the and the interface in Metroid. Nailed like, it. It was a little bit of luck too. I have to admit, I I just kind of said, how would they do this interface and do it? And like as our guy described it to us, you know, kind of put it down in this in this image. We published the story, and Nintendo freaked out. Really? Yeah. Who have so, you been talking so to? that was kind of an indicator that we nailed it, right? Mm-hmm. But they were freaking out, and like they were, they, like people were looking for us, like mm. at, even at you know at E three, it was like, hey, I just bumped into so and so, and they're like looking for you. It's like, okay, wow. you know, they 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 were not happy that we kind of broke this. Um, the secret now back on the IGN site on the message boards people are freaking out in a different way there was a, a big contingent of people who said IGN you guys are crazy that's not true and you made that up right and then they were actually went to all the other message boards too going like IGN is saying this is a first person game and then it kind of got split into now they've ruined the franchise right like everybody just there were very few people who said oh cool this sounds like a good idea virtually nobody everybody said this is going to be ruined or IGN you guys are a bunch of hacks that was that was the message, and so uh, when it was shown at uh, at the conference, we kind of silently high fived each other because mm-hmm. we're like huh? we're starting to sweat because yeah. we're like okay, what if it's wrong? Yeah, you know? of course, um, no one wants that. But it yeah. worked out. Yeah, and then uh, guess what? It looked good. Yeah, and guess what? It was also probably, and I will say this also here, one of the last times I felt a Nintendo game kind of shook the industry in terms of. Look at how technically advanced and amazing yep. this looks. Like this was yep. the best thing you could see in 2002. I cha- I challenge you, anyone who's listening to this who says something looked better in 2002 on a console. It no, still it looks not. really good. They just did the right kind of enemy design and the the right kind of pacing. Like it was ridiculously polished. I felt that way, you know, only a few few times. Like with games like Mario 64, later with Uncharted 2, where I'm like, mm-hmm. why is this game so good? Right? Yeah. Like the set pieces. Metroid Prime, you play the first level and we, we were able to play the demo at E3 behind closed doors we locked ourselves in a room you know Nintendo basically gave, gave, gave us access lights off and just played this demo like five times in a row and it was mm-hmm. the first like the the beginning right the space station with the space pirates and the yep, quick yep. boss fight and then evacuation and it was just perfect. Like everything about that beginning is perfect. The way they teach you to shoot the barriers. That's right. The way you see one of the little creatures scurrying into a vent and you're like, oh, I can go into the vent. The way you turn the gravity on, you know, and the things fall down. The way your visor fogs up. One scanning, it teaches you how all of that works in just a very short demo. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it was all just, you kept on going. And we're like, oh my God, oh my God. Then there's like a dead space pirate and like he moves and shoots at you. And like every moment, every step of the game, like it, it taught you something about the world. It connected you to the lore of the old games. And then it just impressed you with the visuals. Yeah. Right? Like all the um, overlays, like the way they had these weird orange holograms, like what great style. Well, and it was such art direction. Yeah, like yeah. It's something that, and I give them a lot of credit, Retro Studios, because at the time t- we're talking about 2002. This was a year after Halo, yeah. right? And Halo redefined what the first-person shooter was on console, made it work on a controller. Prior to Halo, uh, Combat Evolved, it was not done right. It was done plenty of times. There were plenty of games that tried, 
and yet these guys still, rather than go with free look, said, you know what? That C stick is going to be the switch advisor. Yeah. And you know what? This button is going to do that. And we're going to stick to this thing. And despite using a control scheme that, by all accounts, in 2002 is outdated, it got nothing but critical praise, yeah, I mean, right? They had, it deserved they had everything. On. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, there were people who were used to other um, FPS games mm-hmm. at the time, right? Like, obviously, Half Life was a big deal. Well, uh, still, PC, you know, yeah. and, and like it was compared most often to Half Life the way it told the story with kind of like the beginning setup and everything. Oh, and, yeah. and PC gamers who tried Metroid were really angered by the fact that you yeah. couldn't look and strafe and all that, right? Sure. Like, it felt like a limitation. And it is true. Like, if you go back now, it will feel odd because you just want to walk and look around while mm. you're walking in. Because you, you want to look at everything. Yeah, it looks and it's so, so good. beautiful. Yeah. But after you've you figure out the controls and the lock-on, stra- the so-called strafing around lock-on enemies, um, like you got it and it worked and it was a wonderful game and you realized how they figured out um, platforming in, in in that in the third dimension, right? Like the way the character looks down when you're jumping. Especially when you get so like the double jump and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, man, all of this works the way it used to work. Yeah. And the, the way the game sort of presented uh, exploration and even lore as uh, things that you would have to do to get by, but if you wanted more of it, it was there for you. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it didn't shove a story in your face the way Fusion did. It said like, we're going to hide like Chozo lore in little nooks and crannies around the world and if you want to scan them and go into the menus and read them for hours and hours you're going to learn more about Metroid than you ever did but if you don't care you can still run around just shoot things blast things and beat bad guys and it actually taught you something about Samus too I I really appreciated the kind of dual angle storytelling in that game like you read some notes from the space pirates and they're like the hunter is coming like you are the bad guy in their eyes and you're like terrifying them and as a player you're like haha yeah Yeah, that's right I'm coming for you but then you you also read a message that says hey this Metroid just killed like eight people and you're like I don't know if I should be this guy exactly and I mean there's there's (laughs) one thing I have to say which is just one of the it's one of my favorite moments in in video game history is when you walk into Fendrana for the first time Yeah, and it just the world opens up and there's snow everywhere and, and the music the music changes and it's yeah. it's one of the most beautiful vistas you will walk into ever in a video game and at the time it just um, it floored me how yeah. cool that looked and how i just wanted to go climb on everything and shoot everything and jump on it it was and like walking outside on a on a snow day for the first time and just looking around and being like i don't even know where to start this is all amazing sure and then the other thing which i you know again like going back to the, the notion that you know everything because of the, the predecessors. You, you knew what the morph ball could do and you could go into like smaller areas and you could do the bomb jump and all that stuff. But then you get to a half pipe in this yeah, game. And like yeah. that was different, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you were like, wait a second, it has physics, this thing, right? Yeah. And you can actually roll up in the half pipe. And man, that was just so cool. And because in, in typical Metroid fashion, you walk through that area a few times yep. before, and you're like, this is kind of weird. This is, like, this is like a Tony Hawk level in here. And then, and then you, you'd come back, and you're like, oh my God. And you saw those rails too, right? Like yeah. those rails yeah. going up the wall. You're like, you're like wow, can I go rails? up that yeah, yeah, I like, hope so. There's got to be something I can do. Oh, and then that's where the whole epiphany that we were talking about earlier with like Super Metroid and like just knowing, oh man, I got this spider ball ability. I mm-hmm. saw all these tracks I can use it on. And Metroid as a series, and maybe we haven't, I think we touched on this a little bit the minute you get something new and something cool they let you use it yeah. and they teach you how it works and they teach you like they basically that teach room. you the basic vocabulary of where you're now going to need it in other places mm-hmm. well oftentimes you rad. can't get out of the room without using that uh, yes. you know that new tool like yep. spider ball is needed to get out of this oh, yeah. arena for example yeah so the, uh, the, and, the, and the morph ball just the the other thing like it's 
it's easy to forget how many things this game did really r well. It transitioned you from first person to third person seamlessly. Like you're running and you're rolling into a ball. Like it oh, just yeah. felt so sure, good. Yeah. I would argue Halo maybe helped with that. And I don't know if anyone at Retro would ever say yes, but think with about the, in Halo going from first person to the Warthog. Yeah. It's sort of the same transition. I'm not saying yeah, that, but the Warthog that it was controlled cribbed. like trash. But but the point is that the, well, the they got it right now. They got it right yeah. now, yeah. but yeah. back then yeah. it, uh, it controlled fine. You you watched no, it. No, it was like the Austin Powers but, car. But if you drove <laughs> in on the ice, tunnel, if, well, you were probably <laughs> terrible. But anyway, <laughs> um, no. More importantly, though, I felt like the transition between first and third person. I, I had seen it done, but I felt like the way they did it. At, they had the extra hook of when you turn into a morphal, it's not just about getting from point A to point B. It's also what's the puzzle? What's the unique thing yeah. I'm going to have to figure out to get this thing to where it needs to be versus yeah. I'm just driving a warthog, mm -hmm. right? Which is very different by comparison. Yeah. 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 And it, it was just like there were times where you just wanted to try out what would happen if you were a morph ball, right? Like you're rolling through like grass or something. Mm -hmm. and you just want to see how the grass reacts because you're not seeing your character in relation to the universe. Yeah. And so I kept on going back and forth between the two. And like sometimes you're just rolling around as a ball just yeah. because it's cool, right? Like sure. playing a little, little, uh, Marble Madness on, on Talon 4. It did a smart thing, too. Of it. When you start the game, you have a bunch of things that they take away. Yep. And so, you gain them back. And it yeah. sort of it dangles that carrot in front of you yep. and then steals it. And you spend the rest of the game going, man, I really want those missiles. And yep. more so then uh, from that game, they also promoted the idea of connectivity by the yep. link cable idea. Yep. They both came out the same day. And if you had both, you were able to unlock the fusion suit and prime. They had little unlockable things. That was really cool. And the original, mm -hmm. I, was it the original NES Metroid? The original NES Metroid yeah. would also open up as well. Which That's I believe right. was the first time you could play that on the handheld. Yeah. 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 Before they did the NES Classics line yeah. re-release later. So yeah. then in 2004, we got... Metroid Zero Mission, which was, whoa, like, let's <laughs> remake the original Metroid. Zero Mission almost makes the original Metroid irrelevant. Oh, like, you completely, you may, completely. You may never have to play that game yeah. again because Zero Mission wisely learned from both Super Metroid and Fusion. And I feel like – and it even incorporated I, – I, I wrote something for IGN, uh, a blurb or something, and I, I put in the text for Zero Mission – don't just call it a remake because it is not. They kind of coalesced everything that was happening with Metroid at the time, the Chozo lore and the uh, very gr like chant-driven Metroid Prime soundtracks and the Morph Ball puzzles. They have like mm -hmm. Morph Ball cannons in Zero Mission, which yeah. I was just like, Japan picked up on what America was doing and made that and put that into a Japanese game. I was like, I... I feel yeah. like I had not seen that before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, f at least in a series that was being handled by multiple hands at Nintendo. As, as somebody who played a ton of the original Metroid, Zero Mission was a total delight for me. And it was sort of reminds me that you were talking before about seeing the special editions of Star Wars in theaters and being like, that's weird. Because mm -hmm. George Lucas went and added all this stuff that he didn't need. Mm -hmm. Zero Mission, I kind of feel like it was sort of what George Lucas set out to do with the with the uh, special editions, which mm -hmm. was just like, we're going to add a bunch of stuff and all of it's going to feel great. Like yeah. there's nothing in Zero Mission that I really felt like I... I wish you hadn't done that. Uh, How do you feel I about the zero thing. suit stuff? Yeah, I actually uh, we should we should get to that before we do. I just want to point out because we should talk about the zero suit stuff um, that the they also solved the narrative direction problem of fusion where fusion was super chatty, right? And that yeah. turned off a lot of people. They had these silent oh, and they would just point to where you were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. and no one would say a freaking word. Yeah, I feel like that mm -hmm. was a, a direct response to man, you guys talk too much in fusion. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, and it's the same thing, and that's why when people come at me. So 
sideways about, yo, Zero Mission was a better game. I'm like, honestly, Zero Mission just took away that text. Yeah. Like, there are certain elements of it that are classic and that were always part of Metroid, but to act like Fusion wasn't an evolution in some ways, step off, buddy. Like, this game, Zero Mission learned from Fusion's mistakes. Well, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, but I, I do like the setting of Zero Mission better just because I like that sort of alien planet versus, like, the spaceship setting of Fusion was sort of fake. It was like, well, if we want to have a lava area, we'll just pretend there's a room on the spaceship that's full of lava. <laughs> yeah, but the kind if we of want the, a forest, there's a room on the spaceship. But the world comes together. The world design eventually it does. comes together. It does. They isolated it first. You're going through these separate chambers, and all of a sudden you're finding out, hey, these actually connect. And then yeah. it gets really cool from there, and sure. then you uncover the, all the Metroids and all yeah. that crazy stuff. Uh, so now, the Zero Suit part. Not a fan today. I was a fan in 2004. I thought, wow, this is so cool. This is backstory. This is how she got the big shoulder pads and all yeah. that stuff. Which she, By the way, she had a Metro too. I played <laughs> it, uh, I want to say a month ago, tedious, tedious stealth. Be- because it's, because it's no longer it's no longer a break from the game for you. Yeah. You know, it's like it was at the time I, I liked it too. You know, I was like, wow, they really changed this, the stupid stun pistol and all of that, you mm-hmm. know, but but it was still it was a cool kind of scary part of the game where you're trying to sneak through. Yeah, and, they take away yeah. all your powers. Yeah. They basically took you down on the way from the space station and it was like, Whoa, there's an extra chapter in here. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like the novelty of knowing that at the time. I was in love with that part of the game. I go back to it now knowing what it is, and I'm just like, ah, this is very hit or miss stealth. doesn't mm-hmm. feel as, 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 as uh, like a solid stealth game. They just kind of yep. did what they could with what they had. It's weird. It's weird for the franchise, for sure. Absolutely. All right, and then uh, going into, I mean, we, we probably don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but Prime 2 Echoes comes out November 2004. Two years only. Two years only. After Prime. And the same month as Halo 2 which yeah. was a juggernaut yeah. with huge expectations in terms of what it was going to do online with multiplayer. And it feels like as much as Prime 2 gets a lot of things right and they tried to develop their own ideas, this is where the struggle begins it's, uh, and where to Metro me, couldn't to me, figure Prime, out what was next. Prime 2 is, is Metroid's Skyward Sword to me yeah. in, in that it's, it's fundamentally all there, but it doesn't come together to something that I really love. Okay, uh, And I really... it was. It, Prime 2 was a big disappointment for me. Um, I didn't like how uh, they were neck and neck with Halo, and they were, in a a way, Prime was going in its own direction so differently. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that Prime 2 had multiplayer in Mm -hmm. it, I said, why was that even a focus? And when I heard that multiplayer was a bunch of different Samuses running around these cramped (laughs) Split screen only. Split screen only in these cramped environments, I said, why? I still to this day do not know why that was a thing. Well, you know why. Because you needed that on the box. Well, and couch co-op still had value, but the rest of the industry was embracing online. And Nintendo was not having it. And if if you looked at the sales trends of the time, too, it was very obvious that people wanted more value out of their games, so they were looking for games with multiple. Player. But I'm, wonder, I'm wondering where that directive came from. Like, who top-down told Retro, this there is was, what you needed to do? It was, I'm sure it was marketing direction basically saying, hey, all the games that are selling well now are are multiplayer-enabled. Let's add a multiplayer mode to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and it was I, only Deathmatch. Again, like, I have was, no problem yeah. with that. People always freak out when a franchise that's traditionally single-player adds, adds multiplayer. 
um, let's not forget that's that's how we got some of the best experiences in in multiplayer gaming is somebody just took that step right. Sure, like, but Prime I'm happy two when was somebody, not one of no, them. that wasn't it. But the concept of like having these characters who can actually morph ball and do this thing, it could have made for a really cool totally game. Agree. Totally agree. And like you know, think of like a Splinter Cell. Um, you know, like when Splinter Cell did like mechs versus uh, spies and stuff. Yeah, spies uh, versus uh, mercs. Uh, mercs. Uh, mercs. Sorry, what the <laughs> you're heck? thinking of Titanfall? <laughs> no, spies versus <laughs> mercs. Um, like how when somebody takes something that is single player and creates something original, you actually have something really cool. So I, I kept an open mind and was similarly disappointed. Yeah. Like but the problem with Metroid Prime 2, I felt like, was half of the game was spent in a place that I fundamentally did not like. Yes, yes. It was supposed yes. to be punishing, right? Like the dark world, it has the, if you haven't played it, has this light world, dark world setup, like kind of linked to the past or, you know, Twilight mm-hmm. Princess. And I, I feel like it suffers from a similar issue as Twilight Princess where the dark world mechanics and the fact, like, it's like you're stuck in Gauntletville, man. You're losing mm-hmm. health the whole time. Yeah. You know, like, I just didn't want to go into the dark world. And so every time you go into the dark world, I'm like, oh, crap, here we go. Yeah, it, it, at least yeah. until you get better suits to yeah, survive you, better. Yeah, it at gets, first, yeah. it's like kind uh, of you get the light suffocating. Suit. Yeah. To me, it felt like a, a cop-out. Uh, and this, this, a lot of games did this sort of thing, especially when we moved games into the 3D space. It felt like a cop-out to me to... Uh, have a developer reuse an environment twice. Mm. Like they built something and they said, well, we can now shut all the lights off and put some ooze on the ground and make you play through the exact same thing again. I can see that, but I do think the puzzle design was smart enough where they were able to communicate with you, hey, these worlds have a relationship because they're close together. And if you do something in one, it affects the other. And I love when games get that right. I love it yeah. when it's time-based or linked to the yeah. past. Yeah. yeah, there's a great feeling in knowing if I, drop, uh, if I drop a pebble in this world, what happens to the other world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that game does get some of that fundamentally right. They also leaned on the doppelganger idea, which, guys, Fusion did it first. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to do that. Dark Samus. Uh, although Dark you can Samus say looked cool. Dark Samus sort of showed up at the end of the first Prime because you saw yeah. sort of the Metroid Prime carcass, something uh, survived. I think it was after the credits or right before. I don't quite remember the specifics. But um, yeah, it, it just... Well, it was not as menacing. Like the, the, the 2D game had you cowering at the top of the, stri- the screen while SAX was looking for you at the bottom, yeah. right? And so it was it was just like the movie Alien where yep. Sigourney Weaver is hiding and that thing is stalking her. Yeah. But in this game, it was kind of like... Here it is, you know, now there's a boss fight rather than this constant yeah. menace of the character. But one thing I think we left out with Prime, and and it was still true in Prime 2 Echoes, was that the boss design was fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Great boss design, yeah. hands down, delivered, and that was something that, again, carried over from Super Metroid. Prime nailed it. Prime 2 still nailed it, despite the world being... Yeah. Uh, it, despite the rest of the game not coming the other way it should have. And then Prime 2 tried to do kind of what modern games at the time were doing like adding voice acting mm-hmm. having like character cutscenes they weren't as slick as in some of the other mm-hmm. high production games of the time right? like you mm-hmm. can tell they didn't invest a lot into voice acting or anything like yeah. that it was kind of cool that they're experimenting with it and you had some creepy moments where like human soldiers were being taken over by, by, the, the, ing. by the ing yeah that's right <laughs> the little ink guys oh let's replace the K with a G mm-hmm. got it got mm-hmm. it okay so uh, then let's uh, let's take one more quick break and when we come back We have a bit more history to go through in this very special Nintendo Voice Chat all about Metroid.
Welcome back. Jose Otero here with Brian Altano and Per Schneider. And you are listening to a very special NBC focused on the Metroid series. And for this next portion of our conversation, I actually want to talk about the two Metroid oddities. The things that we didn't think would work where exactly, where on the platform that they did. But for whatever reason, they both had strong qualities despite mm. not really feeling like Metroid games for the most part. Um, and one of them actually is very much a Metroid game. So Metroid Prime Pinball, which came out in October twenty, uh, excuse me, October two thousand and five, on the DS, and Metroid Prime Hunters, which was also on the DS, released in March two thousand and six, but was a demo that came with your Nintendo DS. Your fat, yeah, P-H-A-T. Yeah. fatty. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about those two. You love Metroid Prime Pinball. I do too. I, yeah. I yeah. Cool. I I. I I uh, didn't think I would. Um, it's so weird to look back at this era and go, man, we had like seven Metroid games in, th- in, in just a few many years, and we haven't had one in ages now. Um, now I would even take a Metroid Prime Pinball because right? it just means someone at Nintendo is like, sure, Metroid something. Here you go. It's weird how they forget once in a while. They're yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm, you guys love this stuff, but hold on a second. And it was – I actually uh, – I really liked Metroid Prime Pinball because it was perfect for uh, the handheld format. Yeah. Uh, the shoulder buttons worked great as uh, flippers. And I felt like I grew up playing a lot of video pinball games. And it, sometimes they would take characters we love and they would shoehorn them into a ball to try to make sense of it, like Sonic Spinball, Kirby, a Pokeball, uh, Mario Pinball, which was awful, which didn't make any sense. And a lot of times it didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, this met- one made sense. This one made sense. When the DS yeah. helped ball. It, having yeah. two screens, right? Yeah. That really helped helped with the perspective. It yeah, made me having... want a real table, man. I know, Just a, I know. A real Metroid pinball table would have been so perfect. And it was, it was very clever. I mean, you got missiles and you fought bosses and there was so uh, waves yeah. of enemies that you would fight yeah. uh, depending on different uh, circumstances you would trigger. The music was, was really was really good. The, uh, the art was great. Everything looked like it was built in the Metroid Prime universe but also could have been built as a real pinball table aside from animated characters walking across it yeah and, and then the but they could have probably faked that somehow but like yes. the, but then you had the ds with a two-screen setup too so you finally had a vertical table setup like it seemed like a you know marriage made in heaven yeah, like the yeah. two screens and the metroid franchise i really liked that game you know i like i felt like it didn't have as much content in it as i wanted in the end i wish there were more tables and more things to do but um, it's still it it, it, w- it was a good game. It was a fun game. Fuse uh, made it right. They mm-hmm. did they did a nice job. Yeah, and then you had Metroid Prime Hunters, which as mentioned like. was a, well. So it gave you a lot to like though when it was a demo included with your sure. Nintendo DS because you were like, whoa, a Metroid. Like look how well it transferred, right? Like it had its own control scheme using the stylus. You were basically aiming on the bottom touchscreen. Using you were losing. Excuse me. You were using the left bumper to fire, <laughs> and you were handling movement with the D pad. And it, it works so well, and it looked really good. Developed by mm. Nintendo Software Technologies, which is an American branch of the company. That, uh, they handle a couple of other up games, but not many. Yeah, up in Redmond. And, uh, but oddly enough, when the game came out, when the final product was delivered, its multiplayer was amazing because yeah. you can link up with people locally and just play and do death <clears throat> matches and have some fun with that. But its single player was dreadful. It yeah. was awful. Like well, didn't they, feel right. So uh, something we didn't talk about before, I don't know how we missed over this, but a lot of the Metroid games, or, uh, you know, I, I, I believe at least, you know, the original ones, Zero Mission, I think Prime did this too. They end in this uh, sequence where escape. you need to escape and things explode. And uh, Metroid Prime first hunt, when it came to the original DS, the day the DS came out, um, 
it was strange and it was cumbersome and it was hard to play, but you got used to it. And you finished it and it said, you know, coming soon. And I don't think it came for years. Yeah, it didn't come for a year. It did not come for a long time. And when it did, it was predominantly a multiplayer game and they brought in all these new uh characters that they'd never done before and the multiplayer was okay you know i actually thought uh, i didn't think it was as great as you thought it was but i thought it was just it was, it was hard fun. to play that game for a long time yeah you get but it was cool like and it was it was a, it was a, a feat to see them pull something like that off on a handheld um but the single player yeah that's what i mean yeah, yeah just technical the, the, the single player story-wise had one glaring flaw and that was you went from planet to planet collecting things, fighting enemies, beating a boss, and then doing that escape sequence where the planet would be shown exploding, and then you would return to that planet, <laughs> which makes no damn sense what, at all. Point, what, what, what? You blew it up, and then you come back, and it's there again. You're like, did everyone fix this? Well, and the boss fights were memorable, yeah, you know, especially yeah. when you fought other bounty hunters. I mean, the AI was dreadful. They yeah. just yeah. ran around and shot so, at you. So here's the thing. Like, I can, if there are some people out there who really liked it because of what it showcased on the 3DS, namely first-person shooter, multiplayer gameplay, right? I can totally understand that. What this game signified to me was, one the DS is not a platform for first-person shooters. Yeah. I did not like... I love the feeling of tactile shooting and jumping with buttons, and it made it impossible because you had to use the stylus or you had to use a stupid nub on your finger, which didn't feel quite quite right sure, to me. Sure, sure. I would challenge that a little, though, and say maybe it just wasn't meant for, like, sort of high-action type shooters yeah. because you had things like Dimension the Ward, you had games like Moon that were much slower-paced and more deliberate yeah, yeah, yeah. with but the action, whereas... I'm talking like about action, FPS. Yeah, so Specifically, like, yep. trying to do, like, a high-action FPS just yeah. didn't feel right. Look, Metroid Prime could have been done on the DS, you know. Mm -hmm. Technically, oh, yeah. it would have been a challenge. But the gameplay-wise, it would have worked. I feel like the faster FPS, it showed that this was not the platform to it. Two, it showed what would have happened if... Metroid Prime had been an FPS and not a first-person adventure yes. focus. And, yes. like, the stuff I loved about my Metroid Prime was all but absent from Hunters. And, like, I just... I thought it was okay, but I thought it was utterly unremarkable. And if mm -hmm. you removed Samus and the music from the game, it would be a run-of-the-mill well, iguana... Yeah. Shoot, it would yeah. be our Marines. I mean, it was right back to the same problems Turok had, right? Like, jumping was hard in that game. You had to double tap this touch screen mm -hmm. to jump, and then you had to put it back on and guide it around to look and shoot. Uh, Activating missiles, too, were a little, it was like a little button. On it was the a button in the itself. corner. It was yeah. very cumbersome. It was difficult because you really, they, I don't, they, they realized that you only had access to a few buttons once you had your finger. Yep. You basically had the, the trigger. That was it. That's yeah. all you could do. Um, so, and it was interesting. I, I'm glad they tried it, but. Yeah, me too. First person shooters on the DS were never a good idea because at some point in the lineage of video games, uh, it became true that uh, first-person shooters became synonymous with the best graphics that you can possibly produce yeah. at the time. Like every first-person shooter game has always been uh, a, a and also a showcase for how great graphics can be. Mm -hmm. Like if the new Call of Duty came out and it looked worse than last year's, you'd never hear the end of it, right? If Titanfall wasn't pushing everything that system could do, you'd never hear the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, so in some ways, first-person shooters were always doomed yeah. on the Nintendo DS, and I think they wanted to make them a thing there. And for some reason, they decided to use Metroid as their scapegoat for that because Metroid had 
been closest to the precipice of becoming a first-person shooter, but it missed the point, you know, and it missed yeah. the the atmosphere that Prime had. It missed the platforming that Prime had. It missed yeah. the story that Prime. I had. think it just looked good. That yeah, was it all looked, it had. It looked good. Yeah. yeah, and it is absolutely the product, and I don't mean this in a in a callous way, but it was the product of marketing in a mm-hmm. way, right? Where it's like. You're looking at the market of video games out there, and every investor is talking about FPS. Every retailer is saying, we want FPS. Every kid wants to buy FPS, even though those, those kids were not supposed to play them yet. And like that was that genre was so big and becoming even bigger at the time that Nintendo probably looked around and said, crap, what can we do? You know, like, what plat- what games can we get on our platform that actually tap into well, that Well, they market? had the PSP to worry about, which was a much trumpeted, like, hey, this is going to be the this slick piece of hardware mm-hmm. that yeah. brings the yeah. console experience as, a, as, a, as an awesome portable. And remember when we had Mike Micah in, he actually talked a little bit about how marketing uh, sort of brought about like a port of gauntlet where they went all out was that that story do you remember when he was here and he was talking about how you know their their research showed that's what people wanted they wanted action games they wanted to show that their lineup was just as good as what psp was going to do and then when they completely overtook it they were like you know what it's okay we actually don't need it we're going to pay for it anyway here you go but we actually don't need this project anymore i still want to play that game yeah no same here um well we know the guy who has it so um then uh okay so then transitioning there let's talk about um sort of the last two Metroids we got. Corruption. So we got Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, which was on the Wii. Um, this was uh, August 2007. This is actually a month before Halo 3. Uh, and I keep bringing up Halo because I feel like Metroid and Halo have accidentally been colliding in the in the fall. And uh, whereas, whereas Halo has kind of been sort of leading leaps and bounds in terms of online and connectivity and game types and customization, uh, Metroid has kind of still been... a in my mind, at least, a much better single-player oh, game of course, yeah. than a multiplayer yep. game. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I really enjoy all the all the Halo games. I've oh, played same. every yeah. main and, and uh, you know, side-reach and ODST exactly. game. Like, I enjoy those games, but they never quite had the feeling of a working world. Like, the world is almost like a backdrop. Yeah. And in Metroid, the world is full of little things you can interact yeah. with, and it changes, and it's just sweet. And it definitely points to the differences between those two games, where Metroid is a lot more adventure-focused, and Halo is not. And mm-hmm. that's not a slam. Like, that's just yep. the reality, at least to me, and I feel to you guys as well, unless you disagree. But we had our first Wii installment. Uh, the pointer and nunchuck method really worked well for Metroid. Yeah, it did. Surprisingly well. And you um, could, you could uh, change the sensitivity, too. So it actually, like, you could make it even more sensitive, well, and you, it worked you really it well. more sensitive, because yeah. standard controls, it was just, you know, turn and, tur- yeah. and just... Go read a magazine and come back because you're still turning. Yeah, it yeah. Forever. yeah. <laughs> um, and again, this, this was sort of Nintendo saying, "Let's take Metroid and make it our first-person shooter. Like, let's let's shoehorn it into." I think everyone saw when when the Wii Remote and Nunchuck were first unveiled. Uh, people saw the potential for that being the the just the new analog sticks. Yeah. Uh, and the new mouse Gun and control. keyboard almost. Yeah. yeah. Like this yeah. this is gonna be this is this <laughs> will redefine first-person shooters. And again, uh, the Graphical parity that people expect uh, with first-person shooters, just you couldn't really maintain on the Wii. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where 
great art direction comes in. And I think oh, yeah. that's where uh, uh, pro- uh, retro really soars. You know, and, and, yeah. and then you know, Red Steel kicked things off yeah. in, a, in a negative light, right? Like yep. the concept of wielding a gun was great, but it didn't feel right. And the moment you wanted to turn 180 degree- degrees, it didn't work. And you so started shaking Metroid the gun Prime back and, forth in and front some of the other games like Eurocom had a couple of shooters at the time too, where they just created a smaller box for the reticule to move into. And like when you got to the edge, it started to turn faster. Oh, yeah. They they perfected it in three and and yeah. Metroid Prime three. It worked really well. Yeah, and I'm really glad you pointed out that art direction is kind of what saves this thing because this this game's unfortunate timing was that next gen had started. Yeah, right? yeah. Halo three and everything else that was on other platforms. And granted, we were always used to that with PC, but now it was consoles that it was were right also there. Outpacing yeah, it was them. in the store right but, next to it. Yeah, and, uh, and but still, like props to Retro Studios for amazing art direction. When you got to Skytown, you were just like, holy cow! Oh, that's yeah. the one with direction. all the rails going around. Yeah, yes. right? you were just like, it looks wow. like looks so good yeah but um then uh you sort of had other things that didn't work right at all like the human faces and and the sort of anything that was trying to be photorealistic like take it home the purple bounty hunter girl take her home yeah she was she needed like really battery design um but again they did that they did that thing where they they started bringing extra characters into the into the story which they didn't do with prime one and two for the most part you know and it was all of a sudden you have uh, you're on a ship with a bunch of space marines and their yeah. helmets are opening up and they're talking to you. And, it's, and It was and it cool, though, to like build a, out the universe. I, I didn't mind that. It just wasn't... It didn't look beautiful or yeah, well, yeah. impressive. It you didn't know? feel Metroid either. It felt a lot more action-focused. And yeah. enemies took a lot of bullets to kill. The headshot was practically useless because it mm-hmm. didn't really employ that. Yeah. It was more about just fire and shoot and, and sort of do your thing. But it still had its cool ideas, too. It had the ice missiles, which I thought was a really cool mechanic. I remember one part in the game where there's lava overflowing out of these pipes and you have to freeze it with the missiles yeah. and jump on it as platforms. Like there's always the genius Zelda. sort of yeah, yeah like Zelda ish yeah, yeah, yeah. ideas to it all. Well I love the welding. Mm-hmm. Like I loved yeah, anytime yeah. you like you got to like open a door by like yanking it mm-hmm. and yeah. it actually worked and the welding worked really well. I thought that interaction like those moments of like just kind of tinkering with the controls and having the time to like focus on something were really successful. There were mm-hmm. others where it felt like more like surgeon simulator when you're like trying to press the buttons in the ship and you're like yeah. Eh, yeah. Eh, yeah. Eh. <laughs> like and it doesn't quite work, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I do and, uh, remember like the grappling hook felt great when you nailed it. Like yep. it was all contingent yep. on that. Like when you got that perfect motion down, mm-hmm. it just felt awesome to whip your hand out, grab something and pull it back in and you feel like the little rumble and everything like that. And that was outside of just the basic shooting mechanic which i felt very very natural felt very good mm-hmm. uh, but yeah there was a few times where they would just be like you'd be sitting there twisting both your arms in the air being like what am i doing yeah. with yeah. my life yeah <laughs> totally true uh, there was uh, the fight with ridley too i love in the tunnel where you're falling through oh sort of yeah that tunnel. yeah yeah one of the oh, coolest things yeah. i think they've ever done yeah. and the boss design again. once again like memorable like really good boss design despite the fact that they were on hardware that was inferior and it felt like it like mm-hmm. i feel like and we've talked about this before if metroid prime made a return on wii u i think it would it could still stand toe to toe only because with the right art direction like they don't look that underpowered but yeah, regardless no. of what you did on Wii like you still ran into that wall yeah, I feel yeah, yeah. yeah you were no, this say. game could this franchise could really soar on the Wii U and I, I hope we get another Prime I thought the way they handled the first person is just awesome mm-hmm. and like I do think yeah, even without pointer controls using the visor as the screen on your on your display mm-hmm. on your on your gamepad and like using dual analog I think it could be a really cool game yeah no I completely agree with you um, so then 
you know, talking about that, and then the other game being, I mean, the I'm sure there's more to say. And so that's all the Metroid games. So it's been really <laughs> no, cool we're talking no, to you guys. No, no, no. In good night, August, children. Man, of, and, you know, it's, keep of it locked two, to IGN for 2010, <laughs> Metroid Other M happened. Uh-huh. So, wait, let, let's, not, let, let's not take a dump on Metroid Other bad. M no, too, it's, it's too not, hard. It's, it's, it's really not. It's not, it's not, it's not as bad it as, is a, as people a, a have looked at it. It's a collaboration between Nintendo and Team Ninja. It's also the first time Sakamoto has touched the series in years. He sat out the uh, the um, Metroid Prime era for the mm-hmm. most part. That actually was produced by Kensuke Tanabe, who uh, he he was the guy who was the liaison between Nintendo and sure. Retro Studios. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> terrible story, unfortunately. Um, just not again. You know, sort of Samus had something to say, and all of us were really uninterested. It felt. I'm sure localization did the best they could, but a lot of it was really uninteresting. Even names for things like the bottle ship were just yeah. like, who in their right mind wrote this and why is this a thing? Um, it had decent mechanics, though, to be fair. Like, it did figure yeah. out how to do the one controller to do, to sort of have first person elements like Metroid Prime, but also still be mm. an exploration game. But it didn't feel right because mm. putting all that stuff to the D pad. Was not maybe no, the and best. Why idea did they it have to be only on the freaking? They wanted remote. simplicity, so they've had interviews where How's basically that simple. It, was it wasn't stupid. simple. It was one interface. It, it, it's sort of like holding an NES controller again to them. That's what they wanted to recapture. If the NES controller was not at all comfortable to hold that way, <laughs> no, like no. Here was the thing. Like I feel like again to, to this day, I feel like turning the Wii remote sideways is a compromise. It's a hey, I don't have enough money to buy a real controller. Like that's yep. what it feels like yep. to me. It does not feel comfortable to reach over and hit that little trigger on no, with your finger in never. the Smash Brothers. Nor either. did it and feel so comfortable to hit the the big uh, what was the the A button on top. And like it just it never felt right. And I actually really liked the grip on the nunchuck and holding both controllers at the same time. So it was baffling to me that with the additional buttons and like what would have been much more comfortable controls, they chose not to support them. It was yeah. so weird. No, it, it, it was sort of a weird, like, you almost think it's an ex- accessibility play, right? Where they just wanted it to, to make it something that they was easy for cool. people to understand and to make this thing cool. And unfortunately, like, I'm not when you turn the it. controller, it, it yeah. wasn't cool. It worked, but it wasn't cool. So I, I previewed that game. And I went to a preview event for it, and they brought a bunch of us into a room in a, in a night. I think it was like the W Hotel in San Francisco. And what they do in a situation like that, as you guys know, is they rent out a whole floor, and they get a bunch of these, this whole hall, and they transform into something, and they put dark curtains up everywhere. And then an earthquake happened. No, oh, God. God. And then they put up a bunch of... An up, earthquake? What is that? Earth, uh, earth, oh. Earthquake. Is that that's, that's a New York earthquake. Let's go. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this now. Uh, so there's like six rooms in a row, and they're all made of curtains, and there's just little TVs, and you sit down in front of the couches. There were these little Metroid statues. And we all went in, and I sat down, and they said, we're going to be playing the new game, Metroid Other M. And I walked into the room, and I sat down. And uh, I was like, you uh, you forgot the nunchuck. There's there's only a Wii remote in there. And they're like, no, you play the whole game with the Wii remote. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so they close the curtain thing, and I sit down, and I'm playing it, and the, uh, the, you're just playing it sideways. And I'm like, this is kind of like Super Metroid. I kind of like this idea it's a more action oriented it's pretty smart mm-hmm. and then something happened it was almost like a QTE and you had to flip the controller and point it at the screen and then turn it back and I thought it was one of the most disorienting moves in, in the history of video games it takes some adjustment to do I that yeah. um, and I walked out of the preview kind of scratching my head and they did. They, it's interesting because as I was walking out the PR person was like you know what did you think do you like it and I was like yeah yeah love it 
yeah. then I left and I came back to IGN and talked to a bunch of people and we were all like, man. That I would have told them, like, hey, no offense, but yeah. you guys got some good things and some what is this about? Well, it's like usually it's not that guy making the game. No, it's sort it's of like sure. yelling at your waiter when no, the... No, well, I, mean, I don't but mean they, yell. I just, I would tell them. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. they, I mean, I feel like they fell in love with the concept, right? Like the concept is you're holding this controller and then it's almost like you're drawing the gun from your hip and pointing yeah. at the screen, right? Like they felt like it meant like, okay, now I'm springing to action and I'm shooting my gun at the screen. Yeah. And they fell in love with that concept when in fact I I have met only few people who said that was successful and worked and yeah. they wouldn't have preferred a different setup. And they worked it into boss fights. I remember one of the early boss fights in that game, you have to use, a, I think it's like an ice beam to freeze certain parts of them and then you switch to the missile to yeah. shoot the uh, frozen mm-hmm. ice portion. And it did feel good here and there. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I, I will say, a lot of people talk about that game in a negative way. Uh, including us. Including us. Uh, over the controls. Yeah. Which I think, you know, I just, I just had a problem with. I just talked about mm-hmm. that. But... In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't it wasn't my biggest problem. A lot of people get mad at the characters and the storyline. Young line. Samus was annoying, young, right? Young Samus was annoying. The, her, the leader, the thumb thing, like the uh, her who was it? Adam, her boyfriend, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, so it incorporates was, Adam Malkovich, who was part of the Metroid Fusion storyline. And a lot of people had a problem with that. I honestly, I was like, I, this is unnecessary, but this is not a deal breaker for me. This is a backdrop to me. My problems with other M were that. It was the way we, I talked about fusion before, about how you're in a spaceship and there's a lava room or there's a forest room. But all of the things in that game, they were simulations. So basically you would walk into a room and this holographic simulation of a lava monster would show up. You weren't really fighting any of it. And you didn't get you never felt powerful because instead of gaining powers and attributes, you would have a voice over a loudspeaker, hey, I'll let you use your ice beam in here. Oh, thanks. That thanks was a lot. really dumb. Yeah. Yes. The fact that uh, Sa- uh, Samus was subservient to yeah, basically to a, a traffic a cop telling you how fast you could drive. Like it was unbelievable to me. I wanted to, I like Samus is a badass and that those games are about making your character stronger and stronger and destroying enemies around you in a fashion that you couldn't do in the first hour. And this game, no matter how far you were, it would say, you you can use missiles in here. Yeah, and it would have been cool if there was a point to it, right? Like yeah. if, if Samus had actually grown to be uncontrollable in like a bigger, like this, if the storyline had built up to the fact that she was kind of suppressed and then like broke out. and But, but the story... It didn't flow right. No, like no. it didn't. It never got to like a satisfying conclusion that way. I did like going back to the game. I did enjoy a lot of things about about it. I do feel like in in parts it really feels like a Metroid game. There's some cool bosses. Mm-hmm. I don't like 3D movement with a D pad with a digital D pad. I thought that was awkward. Also, right? those, like, the sections where they put the camera behind you and yeah. you're kind of exploring like a detective yeah. did not work. But like, what but was then that about the the story? I always I kind of chuckled at it from time to time. I'm like, man, this is like an anime. You know, it's yeah. like it's like a Japanese anime where like there are really cool ideas, some crazy concepts, and then some stuff where you're like, what? <laughs> you know? Well, and it starts at a point that is sacred to a lot of Metroid fans, which is the boss fight with Mother Brain at the end of Super Metroid. Yeah. yeah. And they have this elaborate cutscene. It's like, hey guys, remember this? We're not gonna do anything like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I guess to some degree, and maybe this is hype, like me kind of hyping this up, but I, it, Metroid fans felt betrayed yeah it's like, what happened but well, you know i'm ready to forgive because it feels like i went to a friend's house and they cooked a bad meal and then they never 
wanted to cook again after that. And now I'm like, look, the meal was bad, but I'm over it. I'm ready to come to your house. I want to eat more. I'm starving. Yeah, no, again, I think it's, I kind of want to replay this game. Like, I want to go back and replay it. I I honestly, I want to replay all the Metroid games. Yeah, me too. Super Metroid I recently played, which it's just so awesome. But I want to check out Other M again and see like if it it holds up at all. I I do remember thinking everybody is angry about the decisions made with the story and the controls and I'm not actually seeing all the good in the game as well which there they were some really clever oh, man, ideas the, the, the dodge mechanic was awesome how if you like just tap the D-pad yeah. when something was coming at you you would automatically do like a barrel sort of like roll or a, do- a barrel roll mm-hmm. sure. and uh, you would come up and you'd be fired it was cool. and you'd be locked yeah. on yeah they had like cool little slow motion ideas like that but ultimately it did not pan out the way we want let me ask you guys this is has Metroid run its course I see. So this is why I don't understand, right? And this is what baffles me. Like I, you, right in front of you, right now, you have your Super Smash Brothers Limited Edition 3DS. There's a picture of Samus on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nintendo Land launched with the Wii U. There was a Samus uh, theme mini game in it, mm-hmm. right, where you could. Uh, pilot her ship and a bunch of characters. The Cliff Notes version of Metroid. Yeah, Yeah. the Cliff Notes version of Metroid. Samus is in Smash. Samus pops up here and there in in little things. It's it's, it's on their their site, in their notes. It's an amiibo. Like, there's a Samus Aran amiibo. Like, this is a character they care about, but not enough to do anything substantial with anymore. And I don't know... If that just means they're taking a few years off, because if you, we, you talk about this during this podcast, mm-hmm. we talk about how how many Metroid games happen within a few year span. Like I would gladly have taken two less back then and just taken one more sure. of those now, just to sort of spread it out a little bit. I mean, I think part of it's the struggle to what to do next. Yeah, right. Honestly, I mean, they put Retro on Donkey Kong Country and they return revived that franchise, but then didn't bother to put them back. Also, Retro's gone through some changes. Let's be fair. Uh, back in like 2009, I want to say, or t- 2010, after uh, Corruption had shipped, and I think right after Trilogy or right before it came out, a bunch of key people who worked on Metroid had left Retro yeah, Studios sure. to form their own thing. And so Retro might be really different these days. Uh, some of Retro's people actually worked on Halo 4, which, you can astonishingly tell. enough, looked like a Metroid game. It did, yeah. yeah. I it remember starts that. like a Metroid game, yeah. complete with the zero, zero G stuff and everything, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, no, I, I do think like Metroid is one of those franchises where like the core EAD team and you know, R&D teams don't, don't quite own it anymore, and so I think they were happy to find a new custodian in Retro, and then after the third game, it, it, did, it had run its course like there was definitely a bit of a fatigue where you thought like all right that's as far as they can take it with this franchise on this kind of hardware um now some time has passed like i feel like what nintendo should have done and and you know as they as we talk about franchise care you got to keep a franchise alive by by releasing new games earthbound's a great example where a once beloved franchise is so dormant now right yeah even though people love the characters in smash brothers but they should have taken at least the 2d metroid concept and gone to chair entertainment or capable 2D developer out there and said, okay, we're going to give you a storyline, some basic ideas, and you run with it. And it would have been a good game. 100%. Instead, I'm totally on, with you on yeah, that. Yeah, but instead, everyone on Kickstarter is trying to make that game. Well, and everybody it is gets making. on my nerves. Like, sure. every other week, I feel like there's another freaking Metroid project that someone's trying to revive. And I'm like, 
No, like I want something but, that's going to be the next step. Well, the, not ki- the Super king Metroid hasn't again. walked into the room yet and thrown yeah, the crown down on the ground and kicked some ass. Like I, that's I, the I, problem. Yeah, and I don't want to be rude to those guys because I appreciate what they're doing. Like at the end of the day, they're making a game in a genre that they love, and we love that sure. genre too. But I want the next thing that is Metroid, and not a cover is, song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've heard enough covers at this point. Yeah, I want yeah. the real thing. Well, so, but and, that puts more pressure on the next thing to be something special, right? Because some of these indie projects are really, really good. There's right. some, the, you know, two D games that are refreshing and awesome and very, very Metroid. And so Nintendo either find a capa- finds a capable external developer or they put one of their teams that's wasting their time, quite quite frankly, on a Kirby game, on a 2D game like that for once. Calling them right? out. That's no, right. no, like, I mean, I, 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 I like the Kirby games. I, you know, they're great for, for kids and I enjoy playing them too. But, like, there sure is a lot of them compared to yeah. Metroid games, right? And so instead of coming up with yet another knitted Kirby game or something yeah. or or another Yoshi game, let's, let's try it. New Super Metroid. Like, and no, I, like, I love what I'm you kidding. said too about sort of having having a a two D one happen in the, in the interim be, in the time that it takes them to figure out what to do with the three D one next. Like play with the interest there. Like do a two D one. And what I was talking about with Jose the other day, would an, an awesome example of how to do something like that is to give uh, Metroid two the sort of zero mission treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, make that a three DS game. Put Metroid 2 on 3DS, remade in full color with a map and tons of new areas and environments and bosses. Like, use that as sort of a shell and build from mm-hmm. there. Um, and if it sells well, then people care about this franchise. And if it doesn't, then maybe this thing's dead. Yeah. But in, in the time it takes you to find the developer and find the direction, do you want it third person, first person? Is it an action platformer? Is it a survival horror? Whatever you want to figure out. In the meantime, just give me a damn 2D Metroid so, game to play. So what would you guys think if, you know, at E3, Nintendo announces Metroid well, made by Namco Bandai? Well, there was that thing a couple... What was it? <sighs> Did you catch that last part? I, oh. Yeah, that's well, what he's doing. Well, because that could happen, right? Okay, like, I could deal with that. I could it could also that. happen that it's retro, right? Because we know retro's next, retro's next game started. It started months ago. Yeah. Yeah. They've been working on it for yeah, a bit. Donkey, They're not ready Donkey to Kong tell anyone what it is. If it's Donkey Kong Country 3, <laughs> there will be a lot of disappointment. <laughs> and I'm sure was people it, at Nintendo who either have access to this or know people who listen to this know for a fact it'll that be, if they show up at E3 and it is Donkey Kong Country Returns It won't be Donkey Kong Country. Was it, was it there last will be year? riots in the streets. It'll be Donkey Kong 65. You were going to say. Was it last year at the VGAs where Reggie showed up and he had a little Samus yeah, pin? Yeah. And he's just like, wow, I love Samus. Ha, ha, ha. I smirk. asked him about You're that. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> I asked him about that E3 off camera. I'm like, so is this a hint? He's like, no, you know, it's just like, it was like a, it, it was like a last minute thing, you know, mm-hmm. just like it honestly, you got the sense that he wasn't teasing anything on purpose. It was yeah. just like. You know they love these characters, and he and somebody gave him the pin. good. Next time, just get a, his, next time, just get a pin of a middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do, I do want to see if Retro can do another Metroid Prime yeah. style game, or, or at this point, they could probably do a third person one because so many games have come out He's since then that, yeah. who've shown that the third person perspective in a shooter can work. And like you know, Metroid Prime came out at a time where Nintendo was really worried about third person shooters because of Jet Force Gemini yeah. and like some of the games that weren't as well received mm-hmm. comparatively to this. So I would love to see Retro do it. Retro got a lot of flack back when they made Metroid 2 where like they, if you read stories about the making, sometimes people say like Nintendo came in and fixed the whole project's like, come on, give me a break. You know what they had must have looked really, really good already. There's no way to just come in, say, make this first person, and then magically everything works. Yeah. Like the yeah. the the core of the game and all the quality of the design was already there before they made that decision. Yeah. So your message, bounty hunters, hang on to hope. 
I Thomas Aran so. will will hopefully fly again someday. Yep. Uh, and I think it'll be at D three. I you think, think the next E3 I think the announcement will, will be at E three. Yeah. That's ballsy, but yeah. you have said ballsy things on this show before and some have panned out. So yeah. we will see. What can I say? He can see into the future. He's a medium. Deal. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. This was a very long special episode. Please don't expect these every week, but why not? Metroid, we love it. We know you love it, and we wanted to talk about it. Um, so we are a weekly show on IGN, but we are not the only podcast on IGN. There are plenty of other podcasts and shows and features and videos, and we would love if you came to the site and checked them out because some of them are really worth your time. Uh, also, if you like Nintendo Voice Chat, uh, and again, you can download us on any podcast service that you use, head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, or send us feedback, nvc at ign.com. Also, for you, listener, send us your your impressions on, pick a Metroid game, send us your impressions, write up a couple of sentences, we'll read a couple on the air next week, uh, your Metroid memories as they were. So, with that, we're at the end of the show. You can find Brian Altano at... Agent Bizzle. You can find Pear at... Pear IGN. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Head off into the galaxy, which is now dormant and maybe at peace. But Metroid will be back, we promise. Hopefully. We hope. (laughs) And we'll see you next week.